Hey, it's Luke. Didn't quite get this one out inside of the holiday-shortened calendar week. It felt ambitious, turned out to be a little too ambitious. Those of you who have been with us long enough probably could have guessed that uh, it was too ambitious. You know, just based on all the other times, we've had ambitious plans like this that haven't quite hammered out. It's a bit of a pattern. A smarter person than me might say, hey, you know what? We're going to stop making pronouncements like that. We're going to stop promising things. But no, no, what's going to happen. Eventually, we're going to nail it and it's going to feel really good. We aren't quitters over here. Okay. And look, here we are, not quite within the calendar week, but still within the seven day definition of a week. It has still been less than a week since we dropped our last pod. So we'll give ourselves partial credit for that. And it is, as promised, after a few months of super heavy episodes, something a little lighter, still not light. This is range after all, but lighter. A palate cleanser, if you will. Speaking about art and art making, art making both as a passion and art making as a career, and about how fantasy and imagination is super vital for all of us, but especially for kids who don't have a lot of power in the world as kids, their life to a large extent is sort of meted out for them. Both because, you know, your parents tell you what to do. You also have to go to school. You have to do a lot of stuff you don't like doing. And so often play and imagination becomes not just an escape, but the first opportunity you get to sort of create the world on your own terms and act in the world the way you would want to, even if it's a fantasy world. We conducted this interview a couple of weeks ago and almost immediately afterwards, I got pretty sick under the weather. It wasn't COVID, but it still wiped me out. And I spent the better part of an entire week trying to avoid anything that I couldn't do, just like laying or at least reclining. So I got some good TV in, made it through decent chunks of two audiobooks, one fiction, one nonfiction. I also played a lot of video games. And after this conversation we're about to introduce, I've been thinking a lot about video games. My relationship to them, I'm a lifelong gamer, but also what makes them unique as an art form. Our guest this week is Justin Baldwin, a Spokane-based artist and video game developer who is the co-founder of the indie game studio Moonlight Kids. Their latest game, The Wild at Heart, came out in 2021, and in the last couple months racked up some really impressive nominations at South by Southwest and the Independent Games Festival. And last year, it won Best Visual Artwork at the Knicks Game Awards. Those of you who know South by Southwest know that it's a huge, started as a music festival, has become maybe even more well-known as a tech festival. And the Wild at Heart was nominated for two of the biggest awards that South by Southwest gives out. Indie Game of the Year, where they were up against huge indie games like Death Store, Loop Hero, Kena Bridge of Spirits, and Valheim. Valheim has sold like over 10 million copies, which is almost unheard of for an indie title. So whoever did the nominating thought that this little studio, partially co-founded in Spokane, Washington, had one of the five best independent games of the year, which is amazing. It was also nominated for Excellence in Animation, Art, and Visual Achievement, and that category was not just indie games. It had some of the literally the biggest AAA, like the biggest blockbuster titles that came out this year. Games like Forza Horizon 5, the car racing game, and Deathloop. So again, 
Given the number of games put out every year, some of which meet or exceed the budgets of feature films to make with hundreds of writers, artists, and developers working for years, it's a cliche, but even landing a nomination like this is a big deal for a studio with a handful of people, one of whom lives just down the road from me. Beyond the accolades, though, which is obviously super validating for the creators and and gives all of us a sense that this game really is as good as it feels like it is when you're playing it. The thing that really intrigued me about The Wild of Heart as I was playing is the story, where the main character, a kid named Wake, decides to run away from a tough situation at home and ends up in a forest world full of wonder and peril. One of the things I found really incredible about the game is how unclear it is whether his fantasy world is real or a product of his imagination. And either way, it gives this sweet kid an opportunity to have some actual control over his life, something he doesn't really have at home, allowing him to grow in ways he couldn't in the ostensible real world. If you aren't a gamer, the story has strong parallels to the films of Hayao Miyazaki, especially My Neighbor Totoro and Spirited Away. You'll hear Justin mention Benicio Del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth, which is perhaps the most intense example of this kind of story. But one of the things that it got me really meditating on is that with video games, autonomy isn't just an occasional storyline. It's built into the form itself. The player controls the action by definition. Like all great art, games allow you to transcend your, your fleshly confines. They don't just take your mind off of stuff. They put your mind on other things. Obviously, great cinema, great books, all any great work of art can do this as well. Frequently at a really amazing movie or sometimes even a concert or a symphony, I'll find myself rocketing around my skull with ideas and creative inspiration. It's one of the things I love most about experiencing art. And I feel super lucky that I've had so much exposure to art in in so many different forms. And hopefully that makes me even a teeny bit uniquely situated to say that there's something qualitatively different about gaming. That control makes it something fundamentally apart from other forms of art. Depending on the game, we're talking radical agency and radical autonomy. Classic franchises like Civilization, where you literally control thousands of years of cultural evolution and entire civilization. I remember this game from when I was a kid called Populous. It was on the Sega Genesis. You literally play as God, changing the land and helping your believers thrive. Games like the original Zelda and literally hundreds of sequels and spiritual descendants of those kinds of games gave you very little direction at all about what to do. You just have to like walk around until you figure it out or you decided to buy the strategy guide, which I actually think might've been an upsell opportunity for those early games that were super hard, just buy the strategy guide. Increasingly, whether it's the modern open world games like Grand Theft Auto or Horizon, and on down to cozy games like Animal Crossing and Stardew Valley, games you can do pretty much anything or nothing at all, These are games where you can progress. You can move your way through a narrative or build your city like an Animal Crossing or whatever, or grow your farm and just explore in Stardew Valley. But you can also just do nothing. You can go inhabit the world, walk around, do some random stuff. It isn't like you're trying to get to the next level. Some of these games, you can't even die. It's just inhabiting a world and making that world, you know, within the confines of what's programmed into the game, making that world your own. Open world games are obviously massive, and most of them are done by 100 plus person studios. The Wild at Heart is 
a much tighter game than that and in many ways a much more coherent and crafted narrative. But after an opening section that's somewhat linear and serves as sort of a tutorial for the gameplay, you're free to play the game however you think Wake should. You can push straight through and try to save the forest as quickly as possible, you can spend your time idly exploring, or whatever mix makes the most sense for you. And I really love that as sort of a meta-narrative in a game where a lot of the tension, or at least the circumstance that instigates the action of the game itself, is about Wake's lack of control and his unhappiness with his circumstances. You can imagine a kid, even if he feels like he's trying to save the world, wanting to drag that out as long as possible because he's in a world where he at least has a little bit of power over his environment, even if it's a little bit scary, he's in control. And as players, we are too. I think that's all I want to say before jumping in and letting Justin tell us about his game. Justin Baldwin, artist, illustrator, video game designer, talking about art, making video games in general, and his latest game, the award-winning The Wild at Heart, coming up. I'm Luke Baumgarten, and this is Range. Justin Baldwin, thanks so much for coming on Range, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I wanted to devote most of our time to your latest game, but I thought we could start with a little origin story. So what drew you to making art? Did, were you were you always an artist as a kid? So I, I, I honestly can't remember. I was so young when I started drawing, but <laughs> it's kind of like only child pastime kind of thing for me. So for sure. yeah, I started when I was pretty young. I got pretty he heavily into it, I'd say in like, second or third grade and i always wanted to be like a an animator for like disney or um a super obsessed with don bluth movies mm. all that kind of stuff so uh, obviously that didn't work out because <laughs> disney totally changed their right. approach to, to that kind of stuff but um yeah so a lot of that was being super into cartoons and i used to draw sonic the hedgehog and dragons constantly when i was younger so. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's hard to say because I uh, I don't even remember when I started or he, who even encouraged me it's to so do deep it. Deep in the lore, did you watch? What was yeah. the Commander Mark, the guy on PBS that like Dude. taught kids how to do foreshortening and stuff? <laughs> yeah, uh, he came to our school when I was a oh, kid. Wow, did he come to mine too? Maybe I feel like I've got a weird maybe memory of that. Mark Kistler. Yeah, think, what was yeah. the show called? Oh man, I don't remember. I Hold on, I'm I just remember the like shade, 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 and high draw, 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 and all that and, stuff. Uh, well, the foreshortening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to watch that all the time when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, I remember he he came to our my elementary school, and we had like a whole assembly thing around it, and he just did like a session, and everyone got like sheets of paper and got to draw along with him and stuff, and. Um, I remember being pretty stoked about it because art was the only thing I cared about when I was a kid. 
Yeah, I was going to see if you were comfortable talking about this. This is becoming like a recurring theme on the show because we just realized that every single person that helps us make the show has ADHD. You told me <laughs> yeah. you're like in, you're kind of going through a late life evaluation for ADHD too. Yep. I'm in the process of um, I sort of have consistently been terrible about self-care. Like I don't really pay attention to my needs as a person usually. And <laughs> yeah. um trying to be more conscious about that. So I've, I've started therapy again a few months ago, um, mm. just because the more folks I know who have ADHD and I have anxiety and depression stuff already anyway, childhood post-traumatic stress and you know, the yeah. whole bundle of fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, the more, the more folks that I talk to, the more I learn about it. Like I, I sort of was like, this sounds a lot like me. I should probably look into yeah. this. <laughs> The the thing has been, though, is um, they can't really treat you or diagnose you in, unless you have treatment in place for your anxiety and other things. Oh, right. They're so I've, I've sort of been in the process, but my my um, evaluations have indicated that I have a high likelihood that I have some form of that, I guess, um, just because I'm so chaotic minded and procrastinate on a billion things. And, <laughs> um <laughs> lose stuff and you know all the all the things that come with that so what was that like yeah. for you as a kid like we're gonna we're gonna talk about like the you know, the progression you went on that was partially sort of driven by school uh to to continue cultivating your talents as a as an artist and illustrator and eventually animator and video game designer but like you're so talented at that stuff and you're really really smart how did your teachers sort of reflect yourself back to you because like I had teachers who were like, Luke, you're either going to be homeless or you're going to write for Saturday Night Live. <laughs> like, yeah. What was it like sort of navigating school for you? Um, I had a pretty hard time in school growing up. Like, I mean, obviously there's still issues otherwise, but like there's more awareness around like, oh, different kids learn different ways. Like the way we can't right. just approach everything and in, in like a luxury structure or whatever. Like for me, it's always been, I need, tangible non-hypothetical things to, to learn like i have to actually like be putting things into practice and mm. obviously having an interest in it helps but yeah it elementary school was the roughest because i i was behind in reading and math and because i didn't care about any of those things <laughs> and i had like i think we called it like resource in our school so i had to like leave class at certain times every oh, day yeah. and like go to a different room with other kids who were struggling and learn math and stuff. Cause I was pretty behind on all that. And I'd say most of my teachers, I got like pretty lucky with them being, you know, not jerks about stuff or anything, but I definitely had experiences, especially later in high school when I really right. started like focusing on my interests and not so much, you know, I didn't care about algebra and all those other things. Um, <laughs> until I started having to like use it for programming. Then I actually started caring about it. It's fascinating. Cause it like, it applied to like what I wanted to do. I could make things with it as opposed to just it being like, well, this is all hypothetical and you just have to like learn this because we said so. And you know, I had a guidance counselor tell me I wasn't going to amount to anything, uh -huh. which is kind of like, cool. You're my guidance counselor. You're supposed to like, of course may not to guide and uh, counsel me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah, so I, I struggled a bit. By the time I was a junior, though, I got I went to Mead. We got like this big tech grant thing, and oh, yeah. 
once we got that, our school added like web design classes and like After Effects and uh, a bunch of other computer classes. So it's able to take all these like core electives oh, yeah. that I got just straight A's in because it was all stuff I was already good at knew a bunch about and was interested in doing so that really like saved my ass essentially and like graduating because before that i had below a 2.0 gpa until then and then i was like oh this is stuff i'm actually good at i can actually you know um yeah it's interesting because that that period especially my senior year like my confidence completely changed because Uh of that too it was like oh i'm actually like i feel like my teachers think i'm smart and right, like right. i even like when we had to do powerpoint presentations i did them all in flash and had them all like super animated and like yeah. um, you told um, me, you told me you also started making kind of rudimentary video games in flash too right adobe flash for those uh, in the know yeah when i was i want to say 14 or 15 i got really into like learning how to do websites cuz i you know i was in bands since i was a young teenager and i wanted us to have a website and I had another friend who was learning how to make like HTML stuff. And he told me about a website that he was learning it off of. So then I, you know, of course, again, probably with ADHD thing was just like, Oh, a new interest. I'm going to just dive into it and like, (laughs) get like hyper-focused on it and only care about that for a while. And so I started learning how to do all that. And then that progressed into learning about flash because then it was like new grounds was becoming a pretty big thing. And, all these other places had these fancy animated websites using flash. And so I picked up a student copy of it at Hastings and RIP started messing with it. Yeah. RIP. (laughs) That was my stomping grounds as a, as a teenager. Yeah. Same. And started making, um, little animations and, and flash games for, for new grounds around 15, I would say at some point I eventually even got like a top, rating daily rating and a top weekly rating on Newgrounds and stuff so that was pretty cool um for this Newgrounds was like a kind of a, a site for publishing games like indie games that people would do yeah it was kind of just like all creator content stuff gotcha. so it was like yeah anyone who was like anyone could post anything like um so it was all just people's animations or people's little games and things that they would make and then there was like a community voting process so like Mm. you could upvote like review things essentially and then there was like a leaderboard type i don't know what you would call it but basically like a ranking board and all of those things would populate and like have awards and all kinds of stuff tied to them so if you kind of broke through with something that people really liked it it would highlight you and, and stuff but it was mostly just like fart joke humor you know just offensive humory kind of totally all kinds of stuff but um, <laughs> um was a product of the times for sure for sure i mean there's like a point in every conversation with an artist where like the ho- like the host puts on their best terry gross voice and asks you know when you decided to you wanted to make art your career but the question i've been asking myself and i'm going to ask you is like did you ever really have a plan b at that you know you're at a point where you've got you're starting to have this confidence as a you know, you're graduating, you're starting to think about what you're going to do as an adult. Like, where were you at at that point? Like, was it just like, I'm going to figure out how to make video games or, or how did you, how did you navigate that? Um, yeah, no, I didn't have a plan B. I, I didn't even know if, well, actually, so 
I, w- I was in bands for a while and I was like taking that pretty seriously around that age. So like, and I had a band that we toured a little bit and I ended up leaving at some point just because I wasn't quite getting along with one of the other members in the band. And I just like, it, this isn't worth it. But, you know, I, I looked at, you know, I went to the falls for a while. I looked at, uh, I even looked at like ITT tech to see if they had oh, like, man. Or that I'm glad I didn't. I almost, fall into I that almost trap. fell into ITT Tech too. I think. Yeah, and they wanted like thirty grand or something for yeah. like how, however short of a course it was, and I was just like, I can't, can't afford that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't do all my high school stuff. wasn't good enough to get into like a really good school, and I kind of just like had a string of luck with a lot of it. I, I did a lot of website and like banner ad stuff for just some local businesses. I did a lot of album art and things for bands around town. And I kind of just survived off of the scraps I could make from doing that for a while. Then eventually I, I met two other people that sort of had their own independent like web design business and they came across my, my work and I worked with them for a little bit on a few things. And then eventually I found out about an agent agency in town and the person I was working with who had their own business told me about this place hiring. And I, I applied and then got hired there at 23. I was pretty young to start working at an agency um, that I was there for eight years, yeah. basically. And that's where you and I met Were you, and you know, it's, it's kind of a traditional um, like a digital advertising agency basically, but also made video games for brands. So like, you know, I made it or helped make a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game while I was there. Did you start, were you making games like right away in that job or were you doing design work and, or was it a mix or, cause when you and I worked together, this would have been like 2012 ish era. You were almost exclusively on games, but was that how it started for you? Um, not exclusively. We, we kind of had a mix. It, it, it depended. Cause when I, when I started there, it was like, 14 people it, it was uh, right. way smaller than than it became because later on it was like 50 people yeah, that's um the first thing i ever worked on there was like a final fantasy website for one of the ds final fantasy games i don't oh that's super I think cool it, yeah so i was like super stoked when i started there because it's like oh this is the kind of stuff i get to do yeah. um and i i started with that but i i kind of did a mix of mostly flash website stuff because at the time like flash was still a pretty big thing before apple killed it right so i i was doing a lot of that just because i had flash knowledge and animation experience and then we had i can't remember in the old days other than a few like nintendo projects that that we had that were they were still websites, but they were for games. Um, so I obviously still had interest in it. And but we did other like small flash things. Like we did like a Tony Hawk skating game kind of thing <laughs> where you like balanced on this like world that tilted and you just tried to do like tricks while not falling off the edge and yeah. little little stuff like that. But eventually that grew into us having like Nickelodeon as a client. So that really opened up right. a lot of their games division stuff just being like that and maybe just because i was like super detail oriented and good at like the game stuff that i just fell into sort of being a part of a lot of the a lot of the games thing and less involved in the you know at&t 
corporate branding kind of stuff, right, I guess. Right. Um, I still had to do some of that stuff when resources were needed, but right. um, yeah, m- most of the time it was, I would say either the sexier website stuff or, or the game stuff. So while I was the, the brief window that I was working there, you, you kickstarted your first game, which was called monsters in my birthday cake. And it was pretty successful. You got, you got like some funding, but you also made a connection with cartoon network who ended up becoming the publisher of that game. So you're in a situation where you don't quite have enough money to like quit your day job, but you also Mm -hmm. have a, like, one of the biggest names in animation backing the game. So like, what was it like? Yeah. What was it like working nights and weekends on a game you knew was going to be published by Cartoon Network or at least could be published by Cartoon Network? I couldn't do it again. I'll tell you that. It was pretty <laughs> rough. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. I mean, I'm glad I did it when I was still in my 20s um, <laughs> because I think now these days I would die trying yeah. to trying to do that. I was working a lot trying to do all that it yeah i think our, our kickstarter was like yeah it was like a little over 15 grand i think after everything was said and done which is like awesome that we were able to raise that and like i, I was stunned by the amount of support we got from people that we knew and everything um but uh yeah trying trying to balance that with still having to work full time because that's obviously not enough money to be like oh i can survive for the two-year development cycle that this thing's yeah, gonna take yeah. you know i would work 40 to sometimes 80 hour weeks for work and then try to squeeze in you know development time on on my own game so i basically never saw my partner i basically (laughs) for like two years um, did not have a life for like yeah um that whole time and then you also kind of have to like compete with the uh, i felt like i had to compete with this because at that point i was also working remotely and a, a lot of the other folks um, where I worked, that was kind of like a new thing. And I, I did kind of have to like contend with a little bit of this perception that like, that's all I was doing. And I wasn't like focusing on right. work, even though I really still was and working a lot. <laughs> um, and Cause obviously we all still have our deadlines that we have to meet. And if we don't, then that's a problem. So, but I think being, being uh, non-present like physically and people not being able to look over your shoulder and stuff kind of kind of made that a little bit of a, of a challenge. Cause it was like, well, how do I keep confidence here when other people know that I'm, you know, also working on this other thing that is probably perceived as like, Oh, well, this is his exit strategy or, or yeah. whatever, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It was challenging. Not easy. That's a really <laughs> tough interpersonal thing to navigate. What was it like for you? these games are there's like a whole team and also the games are a lot simpler than like a full distributed game, even like monsters that birthday cake, which was a cute, simple kind of puzzle puzzle action game is I guess how I would describe it. What was it like doing something that was like a lot more complex and also not with this team that you were used to working with, or at least having like the resources of a team to share load and stuff. It was a learning experience for sure. I think too, with your, with your first real, like, like premium game, like a game that's more than a mini game or like, uh, something you're going to ask people to pay for too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And this, this was the time too, when like everything started turning into games were either a dollar on the app store or they were free to play with ads or free to play with microtransactions, like became a big thing. And I knew, 
for me personally, I don't like things that pull you out of immersion. Like I don't like to be reminded over and over that like I'm playing a game. I want to be able to get into it. So we we went into that knowing we didn't want to do that. We wanted to make a premium game experience and charge whatever five bucks or whatever ended up being. But I'd say the big thing too is you just don't have that experience with something that scale. So there was a lot of learning about, well, how do we manage our ambition so that we're not biting off more than we can chew or like um, signing up for something that's not reasonable to, to do within the constraints that we're in. Yeah, our development dragged out a lot longer than we wanted to. We ended up making way more levels and way more content than was honestly needed. Huh. You know, I was like, oh, the game will be like eight hours worth of content or what ended up being like 14. That's a lot. Yeah, it's easy for that stuff to kind of kind of snowball if you don't keep those things in check. And I, I was still learning a lot about just I didn't really know a lot of the best practices or, or things that game studios actually use, which is like design pillars and, mm. you know, all these other things. So b- beyond that, I would say the business side of things was like the other big learning experience, which was was a big thing later on too when you know taxes rolled around when we started making money on the <laughs> right. game and all this other stuff. Yeah. And there's a whole other conversation there with how small businesses are kind of set up to be screwed. And then with the Kickstarter, you're also answering to a community who's expecting things in return for you know supporting you. So there's the managing of all that as well. So um, it was a lot. It was it was a uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you kind of get like just you get enough rope to hang yourself, you know, because the yeah. <laughs> the Kickstarter is awesome, but it puts you on a timeline, right? It's a it's a validation, and one of the cool things, and it, you know, this is like old news at this point, but like Kickstarter, you get money, but it also you the implicitly you're also building an audience, and so there yep. are these you've got all these folks that give you have kicked in a little bit of money to help you make your game. They all are excited to play this game at some point, and so that's got to be a, a pressure as well. I think there's a pretty big disconnect with folks who play games don't really fully grasp a lot of the details in terms of what goes into making them. You know, I, I think there, a little bit of that has been sort of popping up with like more articles about places like making people crunch and yeah. um, bad work culture things and all that kind of stuff. But I, I do wish that sometimes a lot of other folks like could meter their expectations by knowing what it actually takes to make something like that. And also, you know, I think, I think about like the conversations I can have with my friends who are writers and especially people who've written long form stuff. It's just, there's like something qualitatively different than even super avid, thoughtful readers, people who can like dissect a story and really pull it apart and talk about themes and stuff. Like all that stuff is like a level beyond like average reading for enjoyment sort of folks and and still and yet it's there's another level beyond that when you get into talking about craft for something that's even relatively linear like you know writing um Mm -hmm. and with something like a video game there's multiple dimensions of all of that craft stuff that as a guy who's gotten to write and do some game mechanics on games i probably don't know half of what it takes to put together something like monsters yeah and it's also like I'm doing this to myself usually, but it's like, I like to design things non linearly (laughs) for games too. So it's like, like Zelda and um, you know, where it's like, you can sort of 
get dumped into a world and it's like, oh, there's like three different paths I can go down and there's different dialogue decisions that I can make. And it's like, how do you make that experience still be cohesive or make sense story-wise when you're you're not being able to just be like, play this level, now play this level, now play this level, you know, and go through everything in order. And I think that's just because I, I like those kind of experiences. And I think that's something that games offer that a lot of other mediums don't. You know, but I, I continue to to do that to myself. I guess. So <laughs> I want to talk about interactivity as like a core part of the art, but let's let's get to the new game and use that as a lens to talk about this stuff. Maybe like the game's called Wild at Heart. You uh, it released in mid May 2021. It's this really really beautiful story of a young kid who decides to run away from home, kind of gets sucked into a magical forest, where he and eventually I don't want to give too much of the story away, but he and eventually a friend kind of help a group of guardians save nature from a malevolent force. We talked, you mentioned your Don Bluth influence. You've, when we chatted last week, you talked about Hayao Miyazaki being a big influence. Like, I feel like there's a lot of influences on display in this game, even with the premise. So can you talk about what you were drawing on as you were building that world and developing the story? Yeah. um, So the core idea was, I like a lot of games that have little buddies. So like (laughs) is what what we call them, like little buds. And we wanted to make a game where you had little creatures, essentially, um, like Pokemon or or whatever. So that was kind of like a starting point. And then we knew Alex and I, who who wrote most of the story. What's Alex's last name again? uh, Kincaid. We kind of knew we wanted to make something that was... A story about childhood, but a little bit more from like an honest perspective Mm -hmm. because him and I went through some things as kids and, you know, whether or not those things are traumatic or leave imprints on you in in certain ways, like at the end of the day, when you're adult, whether those things affect you as far as defense mechanisms or anxieties or fears or whatever, they also can somehow define you in in like positive ways they they can make you a more empathetic person they can like resiliency resilience yeah all that kind of stuff so thematically a lot of the idea was, was like even if we do harm to people that we love that doesn't have to like define like the future of the relationship or whatever anyway a lot of the the core of that at least with wake's side of the story who's the one of the main characters there's two was sort of an amalgamation of him and I's experiences. Mm. So there's a lot of nostalgia and romanticism about like the time, which, you know, the game's set in the 90s, but also has some more poignant, serious moments in the game that are, you know, Wake has a neglectful father who has a drinking problem. And you find out later why, and you are able to sort of, even gain some empathy, hopefully, for his father, too, for the situation. At the time, too, when we were doing this, I was sort of going through some things with my my own dad and learning more things about him and being able to gain some empathy for my, for my own father, who I, I sort of had a rough time with relationship-wise. Um, um, on the top, back to the topic of interactivity. So, you know, th- it's a pretty nonlinear game. You can kind of just explore... A lot. It's not quite like a full open world situation like Grand Theft Auto or anything, but there is a lot of player choice in that. 
so as a, from a storytelling perspective, as you were trying, you and Alex were working on, you know, how, how this would even work or the story, you, you, the sort of the, the, the fundamental story you wanted to get to, how did player choice and interactivity sort of come into that? And, and how did you think about sort of the power you're giving to the player to tell the story or, or progress through the story, however they end up progressing through it? Yeah, so a lot of the game was structured. Um, we we kind of went in like knowing we wanted it to, again, I guess folks would have to be familiar with these references, but like Legend of Zelda kind mm-hmm. of like structure or even like Dark Souls is a good example too. Um, you sort of just like dropped in and you have to explore kind of. Yeah, or things are just sort of like labyrinthian yeah. in a way and there's still sort of barriers around like chunks of it so it's it's like like the beginning of the of the game you sort of once you can split off and sort of explore so there's sort of like this do i want to find my friend and progress story that way do i want to go um over here and try to find these other people and learn about them and like what they're doing or even just basic stuff which is we try to reward exploration mm-hmm. and if if you're kind of making your own story on top of that, and that that's something about like giving players that level of agency that we like as designers. So you can be like, oh, well, I want to go just find this new zone or I want to go just like explore over here and collect all the treasure things that are scattered around or find the notes for the book and kind of learn more about the lore. Yeah, right. yeah, it's really just for us. It's about like, giving you that that agency to kind of make your own decisions and what order you want to do things or what you even want to do, but also sort of put <laughs> some barriers on those things. So we have like soft caps for like, okay, well, you can go all the way over here, but you can't go any further until this other thing is done. Right. I mean, the, the, the art style is really, really beautiful. The story's, you know, poignant and it's fun too. I mean, it's just like, it's also funny. You know, the characters are funny. The green shields are goofy. Yeah. You know, like their forgetfulness is hilarious. And, but it also, you know, it's like, it feels very kid-like or, you know, the, 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 it's a very, it's a very sort of accessible, um, animation style. What was it like maybe on multiple levels? Like, the, the adultness of the story, did you think about like how that would affect kids playing it? Kind of maybe like the Pixar question, like how do you make it fun for kids and adults? And then also like kids kind of suck at video games sometimes. So, you know, it's like, how do you create a game that's like both that's fun for sort of like all ages, right? Well, we kind of went into it knowing the, our, our target was probably like eight eight to ten and above so not like like super young kids unless unless like parents want to play it with their kids they watch while their parents play or or whatever but i don't know some kids are like way better at games than a lot of adults to be completely honest doing play testing my kid was my brother was amazing at battletoads which is one of the hardest games of all time when he was like six he was so much better than me when i was 10 when he was six at battletoads yeah yeah doing all the playtesting we do we always see that it's just like kids kids also don't have that like um reinforced like way of approaching things that a mm. lot of adults do that that sort of learned behavior stuff yeah. um so they're more experimental and and things so they're better at figuring stuff out but anyway huh. um we tried to have some of those things in there but they all felt like and again it's all wrapped in like humor and sort of this like fantasy world so we try to lighten the mood very often and i would say those experiences are more frequent than 
like the humorous kind of weird endearing quirky stuff is a little way more present than the more serious stuff yeah. it's just that that stuff is there right. we try to try to do it in a way where it feels honest but not like we don't want to like pummel you with feels either <laughs> like um we, we don't want to beat the crap out of you while you're while you're playing our our game and trying to experience it so keep that in mind where it's like yeah a kid could handle this like i at least feel like they could like i think my nieces and nephew could handle it i think it, it depends i mean it depends on the parents too like thankfully we've had a lot of all the feedback we've gotten from parents were like uh, we really felt like these were actually important things to talk to our kids about mm. or like things worth having a conversation about as, as kids and i i sort of subscribe to the idea of treating children like they're they're human beings and not just children hmm. they they can handle more than you think yeah. i mean it really depends we, we kind of went in knowing that that was potentially a risk you know but thankfully most of the feedback we've gotten has been positive um we haven't really gotten anything saying like oh this was just like too much for this or that uh, for our kids to, to deal with. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely not like mortal combat or anything, but in, in, in some ways it's that those early scenes when wakes deciding to run away, I was like, Oh wow, they're going, you know, it's like there's, and there's, yeah. there's the flashbacks with the dad, you know, you basically kind of see the, you see the dad from behind staring at a, a TV screen that may or may not just have static on it. And it just, there's like this sadness to that uh, that aspect of the game that as an adult, I, I felt pretty strongly. I felt really, you know, yeah. sad for Wake at the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's also a mechanism of like, you get emotionally invested in the character from the get-go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the beginning is kind of uh, intense from the start with the, mm -hmm. the, the feels, <laughs> for sure. Like, it's funny watching streamers just like, oh, we're going to we're gonna go there immediately. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, that's got to be, uh, yeah, that's got to be a really interesting aspect of from a designer's perspective you get to there are going to be documents because of streaming culture like documents of people playing your game in real time that's got to be pretty unique how has that sort of affected you um like i don't know if my novelist friends would want to like watch a stream of somebody <laughs> reading their novel like i don't know that would maybe terrify me it does mess with you a bit like I enjoy watching people play. I even recently like watched eight hours of somebody playing through the game because it had been a while since I watched someone play. Yeah. I, I think it's a little easier when the reception is generally like positive. What watching stuff that is somebody who doesn't like it or is just saying like negative things. It's like I try not to subject myself to that because that just I'm already the kind of person that latches on to to negative feedback. Um, yeah. The negative feedback as opposed to, to the positive, which I think humans are just innately good at. <laughs> um, it does kind of mess with your head with how do we approach these things in the future? Did this work or did this not work? Or was this a different reaction than we tried to elicit or whatnot? But yeah. um, even the awards thing kind of like messed with me where I, I really felt, especially since we're working on a new game, like where I felt like, okay, well, we're up best art of the year for games or we're up for game of the year or whatever you get like imposter syndrome yeah, almost yeah. where it's like do i deserve this a and b like um can i ever reach this milestone again oh wow, like, yeah. <laughs> um and um so it can really get into your head especially if you're like me and a, or a very anxious self-critical person <laughs> like <laughs> um <laughs> yeah it can, it can mess with you but uh, honestly with the streams it's like 
I really enjoy watching them and stuff. The one thing I don't do is read comments. Like that that's the that's the kind of trap is is comment sections and like on YouTube and Yeah, that's um, definitely smart. Well and maybe this kind of we, we talked about this a little bit last week too. So you've created a game studio and you've made this game that some people obviously hate in bad faith, but a lot of people really love and it's it's enough to sort of sustain you as a person. It's your job. As you sort of think about your next game, you've got this community that you've cultivated. The community buying your games is what helps you sort of continue making games. What's that tension like? You know, how beholden do you feel? How do you trust them to come along with you when you, if you're to make a drastic break either in style or gameplay or story? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a consideration and one that we've been sort of has been in our minds of recent too because yeah the the new thing we're working on is pretty different mm. and a, a little more mature in terms of like the vibe the type of game that it is it's it's not so child friendly i guess gotcha. in a way yeah like our our audience for wild has been a lot of the like cozy culture mm. kind of stuff which is you know, folks who like to play more relaxed sort of i just want to soak up uh, you know a, a charming world and yeah. feel cozy while playing something or like Stardew um, valley where it's like i could just grow vegetables for 78 yeah. hours <laughs> yeah um so a, a lot of our audience is that that kind of audience um which is has been great in in a lot of ways because our our community is generally very kind and positive which has been awesome yeah. um I, i'm glad that like our community has been those folks as opposed to you know the some of the other gamer folks that are jerks about Toxic, things yeah. um yeah so we haven't had to like feel a whole lot of toxicity or anything which has been great but yeah as far as like feeling beholden to that to a degree we're trying to like keep some some threads of what we're doing as like a moonlight kids identity kind of thing which is i think the way we approach our our art and our level design and things like that but we're kind of doing this because because we want to like make the things that we want to make and we want to take risks. Mm. And because if we're not, if we're doing it just to sort of repeat what we've done before, it's kind of not that exciting. You know, this was this game that we're working on now is something that we've all wanted to do for a long time. And we're, we're kind of just like, it is what it is, I guess. If, if some people don't latch onto it that are our fans, then, then I guess they don't, but hopefully we can gain new new fans of our games with with this other thing yeah. and um art, you know art wise again like our style is somewhat similar like you'll be able to draw the the connections um so like with your body of work how do you think about you know like from tolkien or uh george rr R. martin who have like basically spent their entire careers building a single world and telling different stories within the world and sort of everything being in world and then there are folks who want to do something drastically different every time. And every story is a little bit different than the last. Like, where do you fall on that spectrum? Like, do you feel like, is this part of a larger project creatively for you? Or or how do you think about, like, one game to the next? I mean, I do focus a lot on, like, world building and stuff. So, like, there there is a lot with Wild, for instance. So, it's like, we could do more with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I struggle to maintain interest in in sort of repeating 
things for too long. Um, I, I like to explore different art styles. I'm not one of the artists that is like, I have a style and I'm just going to refine it for the rest of my career. And like, that's going to be my style. Like I, I'm not like that. I get, I get bored easily and um, I like learning new things. I like exploring new things because my interests change and um, a lot of what we're kind of all going through also can influence like what we're making mm -hmm. in, in various ways. So it's, it's sort of um, like wild for instance was going through therapy at the time and yeah. like trying to, trying to get living in the past. Like I frequently do out of my system mm -hmm. because I, I don't, I'm not very present usually. Um, and I want to get better at practicing that. And I was like, well, if I get this out of my system, maybe I can be better about it. Mm -hmm. So and that was a product of where it was at at that time. So now I'm in like a different place. So it's like, I want to explore other things. I want to explore other ideas. And I don't know how much of that is the like chaotic brain or ADD or ADHD or whatever you want to call it. It's just, I, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't, I couldn't just like build one world and stick yeah. with it for years and years and years and years. Like, I, I don't think I'm capable of doing that, even though it's like, I want to build out you know, the whole world and, and all that stuff while I'm doing it. But I mean, who knows, like we might want to revisit that world at, at some point and make a sequel. We had a bunch of DLC ideas that we just didn't do because it depended on the performance of the game and the, the game did well enough, but not enough to justify like making more content, content for it. Yeah. yeah. But we have a whole bunch of stuff written and things designed and art, art concepts for things that were just, didn't use because right. we're, we're moving on yeah. but sales are you know an interest or a big indicator of like right okay well we need to try something new because you know this may have worked out for this stint but it didn't work out so well that we can continue to just focus on this because this is like lightning in a bottle it's not like a sports game no. where you're going to make you're going to make a, a very a variation on it every year or something yeah it's not it's, it's not, not easily Madden. reskinable yeah. in that way yeah <laughs> So if people want to find out about you, where, where should they go? Moonlightkids.com? Uh, Moonlightkids.co. Moonlightkids.co. Uh, not .com. Yep, uh, just like rangemedia.com. was taken. Yep, same. I feel silly having this Twitter handle. Uh, my Twitter is at uh, butttoots. Um. U-T-T-T-O-O-T-S, I think, right? <laughs> yep. Okay. And I also have an Instagram, which is the Moonlight Kid, I believe. Okay. So those would be the best places to find. Are you me. at the point in the new game where you're starting to share content or just sort of slide stuff out? We're still sort of in like the early stages, so we haven't really shared anything yet. Um, I might start sharing art sort of relatively soon, hopefully, but um, so far we're still <clears throat> prototyping ideas and, and stuff. So we're kind of keeping Stealthy. it close until we're comfortable with it uh showing it so well, i really yeah. i really enjoyed both with monsters where i got a little closer look because we were working in the same office for a while but even with wild like with independent developers it's really fun if you find one that you like or one that lives in your town this is me telling the listeners to go follow you is like you'll get to see and it's going to maybe happen roll out over the course of years probably the way little snippets of how the game's developing it's a really obviously heavily curated by whatever you decide to post on social, but yeah. still it's like you get a really interesting um, look into like the way things like this 
these inc even simple games are incredibly complex to create and, and time consuming and require just a ton of iteration, like so much iteration. And so it's yeah. fun to follow along for sure. Yeah, I think with this game too, we want to be even more open with, with a lot of that development oh, cool. process. So um, definitely be sharing quite a bit. But yeah, it is it is also curated at the same time. So it is sort of this like weird position where you have to feel like you have something engaging enough for people to be interested in, I guess, or having it be a good representation of like what you're actually trying to make and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, the hope is to to share a lot more even than we did with Wild. So hopefully that is how it pans out. Awesome. <laughs> well, we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Um, Justin, thank you so much for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was awesome. <laughs> Thanks again to Justin for coming on the pod. Thanks to the entire Moonlight Kids crew for making such an amazing game. The music we played at the end of the intro before our theme music was from the soundtrack of the game composed by Amos Roddy. This episode was produced by Val Osier. The interview was edited by Stephen Smith. As always, if you guys like what we're up to, you can support us monetarily by becoming a paying subscriber at rangemedia.co slash... Actually, it's not slash subscribe anymore. Go to rangemedia.co. I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> rangemedia.co and then click the subscribe button. We say this every episode and it remains true. We're trying to create a media for the Inland Northwest that's only beholden to its listeners and its readers. And therefore, we're trying our damnedest to create a sustainable member-driven model for the work we're doing here. As always, we value your feedback. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Next time, it's back to the heavy stuff. We talked to Samantha Wolfile about her cover story in The Inlander, contemplating the impacts on the inland northwest of the impending overturn of Roe v. Wade. So hard to say look forward to that, but it's a really good conversation coming soon. Till then, have a great week, everyone. Bye. <laughs>